God is just, you know, that's ridiculous. Out of all the songs in all the world, and um, that it just it just happened to be. So it's, there's an exciting life that when we develop and we live and we embrace these habits, that we get to partner with God in this incredible adventure. And it's so simple. Some of it's challenging and it calls us out of our comfort zone, but it's so simple to just have these things on our spirits of, how am I doing that this week or, or today? And how do I need to push in there? Is there someone I need to invite into my life? Is there, do I need to stop and listen to God? Is there someone I could just bless? Well, there might be something so tiny, but it ends up being so significant. Um, and am I studying Jesus, which is a lot of, little bit about what we're talking about tonight. You see, everything in our world is shifting. It's constantly shifting. So people's values, governments, power, standards, ways of living, um, what's morally acceptable, it's all shifting all the time. And finding something that's solid and trustworthy and secure that we can plant our feet on is, becomes the craving of the human spirit. It's like, I need something that is an answer that helps me live life differently than all the turmoil that we see that's represented in the media. But in if you, if you don't watch much media, which I don't, you still see there's so much turmoil, so much shifting stuff. And so that's what the Bible is. The, the Bible is this, this eternal truth that we get to stand on, that we get to feed on, that we get to be strengthened by, that says this is the standard. This is where it is. So when everything else is shifting, we only need to hold on to what God is saying and what God is, is doing, and that will be enough to help us feel secure and be carried through. It's, it's this idea that God says, align your life to this, and you'll find me in that. You'll find this, this security in me that you can't find anywhere else. And so today, we're going to do that. Right now, right here, we're going to find that for ourselves. And we're going to read a passage of Bibles. If you want to turn your Bibles on, or there's no like paper Bibles. So if you want to turn your Bible on, your app or whatever, we're going to read from Mark 4, 35 to 41. And I'll say that a couple more times before we get there. But Mark 4, 35 to 41. Now, we've been, um, sorry to put you under pressure, H, just flick to the next, next slide. Oh, that was quick. How did you do that? Wow. So we've been reading the Bible every day as a church and just inviting anybody to be part of this that would like to be. Um, and so if you if you think, oh, I'd love to be part of it, but I've missed the boat, like I should have jumped on it on, on day one, or I jumped on the boat and I've just been hiding in the back, not doing anything, don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. No one cares except you. So stop caring about it and start enjoying it. And if you're wondering where it is, you can grab um, the uh, QR code or the URL, or there's an up-to-date, which starts tomorrow, or maybe the day after, um, Bible reading plan. So you can grab that um, off the table and read along with us. And there's an opportunity to have some conversation there. You can throw around questions or um, share what God's saying to you. So we're going to go to Mark 4, 35 to 41. And I'm going to read the passage. And what I want you to do is I want you to listen and look for the clues. There's a bunch of clues scattered through this that you read and you go, hey, what is that doing there? That's a little bit strange. Why did the author put that in there? That puzzles me about why that's there. I want you to think on these clues as we go through, and then the rest of our time is gonna be answering and solving what those clues actually mean. Does that make sense? All right. So this is, this is equipping us to read the Bible. When you read the Bible by yourself, you want to do the same thing. What are the clues? Why is that in there? Um, for example, today's reading was about uh, feeding the 5,000 or 4,000 or have heaps of people. And uh, Linda, Linda and I, <laughs> Linda, Linda and I weren't paying a lot of attention, but she says, it's, it's like, um, go and get them to sit on the green grass. And Linda was like, why is the grass green? Like, 
Who cares? Why does it matter? Now, it matters because that points to what time of the year it was and a whole bunch of other significant things. But it's a clue, right? You're like, what's that doing there? If we could start reading the Bible looking for the clues, it enlarges our understanding of what's happening. It might also frustrate you a bit because not all the clues are easy to answer. Some of them are downright impossible. So, Mark 4, 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, that's Jesus, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it nearly was swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, didn't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. They asked each other, Who who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I want you to share with the person next to you or somebody around you, if there were any obvious clues, things that jumped out at you when you read that or heard that, you're like, huh, what? Puzzled? I have a question about. Don't have to answer those questions. Just have a little bit of a sharing time with those around you. Was there anything that jumped out? All right. Now, here's what's going to happen. I am going to attempt, without even hearing most of them, to answer all of the clues by the time this message is over, right? So if it comes to the end of the message and you haven't heard anything I've said except you're just overcome with disappointment because I've completely missed your cue, that is a cue to come and talk to me afterwards, right? So seriously, if there's things that I don't address... No, that would just be... Oh, you can if you want. You can, yeah, go on then. Yeah, that's fine. What am I doing? Giving giving permission to that. Um, so to understand the story, there's a few things we need to understand as a backstory to what was happening. So first of all, the disciples who Jesus talked about had only recently been called out of their lives and world into discipleship. So they were rookies, right? They were new on the scene. They really, they'd seen Jesus do some cool stuff, but they, they were a long way off where they would eventually be understanding a little bit more about the, the lordship of Jesus. So that's number one. Number two, he was preaching to the large, large crowds from a boat. So the boat that he goes over in the sea was, was the boat that he was standing on to preach. So the, if you can imagine a lake with a sort of a natural amphitheatre, so a bank that falls down and people would line up on the banks and said to get the best projection of his voice because he didn't have a microphone, he went out on the boat a little ways. So he was standing on the boat as he delivered this and the sermons that he was talking about, he was talking about parables and he was talking about little things becoming big things in the kingdom. So he wasn't saying you need to go big. He's saying go small, God makes it big. That was a series of the stories that he'd been talking, which you can catch up on in those previous chapters um, uh, in your own time. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. So it's evening, right? It's, It's night. It's night. And the Sea of Galilee is enormous. How big, you ask? Great question. I have the answer. It's 166 square kilometres. 166 square kilometres. So it's 53 kilometres around the edge. 
is 21 kilometers long, it's 13 k's wide, and the deepest point is 43 meters. If you go like, okay, how does that fit in? You can fit nine Hins dams into one Sea of Galilee and still have some water left over, right? So that's the size and scope of this body of water. It was fresh water, but they called it a sea because you couldn't see the other side. It was literally looked like a sea before them. It was prone to storms. With that sort of body of water, when the wind started whipping up, it would roll off the mountains, across the water, it would start whipping up. So it was prone to, to um, storms, and then it was prone to sinking ships. So you would never, ever go out on the Sea of Galilee unplanned. You'd be checking the weather, you'd be checking the, I don't know if I had maps in those times, but checking the weather again. Um, just you, You'd know, this fisherman would know the signs of what was bad news and what was good news, or whether to go out. And so Jesus, not a fisherman, not a sailor, having probably never gone in a boat before this specific thing, but thinking this is a trendy mode of transport, says, let's sail 13 kilometres from this side to that side um, for fun. And normally a fisherman would say, you are out of your mind. You are absolutely crazy. There's no way we do this. But they didn't do that because they were disciples, right? And a disciple did, without question, everything their, their rabbi told them to do. So there would have been this gulp of like, oh my, this could go really, really bad. But you've said, and you probably know stuff that we don't know, so we will follow you on this. So he wasn't the captain. He was just um, stowed away in the boat, but he had leadership authority and they were surrendered to that authority. So Jesus says, let's go. And they go, okay, bad idea. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, well, we'll do that. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. So it was a spare of the moment thing. It happened right then and there. There was no planning. But Jesus was absolutely a passenger, right? So he wasn't a captain. He wasn't in charge of the boat. He, he was being escorted um, on this thing, just as he was in the boat. That's another clue, right? Just as he was. Why say that? Why is that in there? What's important about it? Well, I'm not going to tell you till later on. Did anyone have that as a clue, by the way? Yeah. He's like, hmm. So, sorry guys, you don't get to find out for a little while. You've got to pay attention. All right. Then it says, there were also other boats with him. Well, who cares? Because we're just talking about the one boat, right? Like, what? So why, why is it important to Mark that there are other boats there? Well, I will let you in on this one. It's because Mark wants to say there were witnesses to this whole thing. It wasn't just this little boat by itself. There were other boats that saw how bad it was that then would have seen how dramatically it became calm. So Mark is saying this is an actual event, that real people that were in other boats that day would have seen and witnessed and understood. A furious squall came up. Now, Rach, that was yours. Like, what is a squall? A squall is a colossal storm. But if you want to pack some punch when you're writing this, you call it a furious squall because it has a lot of energy in it, right? So, clear. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the, in the stern sleeping on a cushion. So you guys said, cushion was what jumped up. I feel like a game show host. And the winner is. Now, the cushion belonged to the helmsman. The helmsman was the captain. So the cushion was where the helmsman, the person in charge of the boat would sit. Right? So Jesus takes 
the cushion of where the guy is that should be in charge of everything should sit. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care if we drown? Now, Jesus wasn't a fisherman, he wasn't a sailor, so what could he possibly offer them? They clearly sensed that he had something to offer them, but they obviously had no other option. You see, for a fisherman to call out for help on the Sea of Galilee, it meant one thing, you were about to die. It wasn't like, oh, what do you reckon, Jesus? Because we're thinking about sailing up the channel, chucking a right, popping out of the storm. Do you reckon that's a good idea? It was, we are in so deep, we are going to die. Teacher, what do we do? So they turned to him and he's asleep. He's asleep. They turned to where their captain should be captaining the ship, the helmsman on the cushion, and he's asleep. Poor form, Jesus. Poor form. You see, it was his idea that they were out there. It was his brainstorm like, yeah, that's a great idea. It's night. Let's go out across the Sea of Galilee without any preparation, just as we are. And they call out to him. What do they call out to him? What do they say? What's the title that they give him? Teacher. It's teacher, not captain and not Lord. Teacher. They have come to the end of their problem-solving capacity, and so they seek the counsel of the wisest bloke on the boat. And we find ourselves right next to him. We do exactly the same thing, right? We evaluate our lives when when storms come up, when things are difficult, when we go, what on earth am I going to do? We seek wisdom, we seek knowledge, we seek physical help, right? That's the inkling of our spirit. How am I going to get out of this mess? And so we go for those things. And we evaluate our lives and say, am I... Have I, have I done enough good that if I were to ask God to get me out of this, he, I deserve it? And then we go, we, we go and find someone who, who we think, well, they're wiser than I am. They'll help me get out of this mess, right? And so we go and we don't say teacher, but we say, hey, can you help me? Because I know you're smart and wise and you can help me get out of this mess that I'm in. The point is that just like us, they cry out, teacher. Now, here's the question. What does a first century, land-based, non-life jacket wearing rabbi, remember the clue, he came just as he was, right? So he didn't have time to get any other supplies to save him from what was going to happen. What could he possibly have to offer them? What could he possibly have? Pray more, guys. That's what you need to do. Was that what they were after? Were they after that, well, you kind of deserve it. You're a bunch of ratty disciples. You haven't been doing very well. Is that what they want? Did they expect Jesus to be like, I've got this because we took this class at rabbi school about escaping storms when it was really crazy. So watch this, guys. What were they hoping to get from this teacher? But how often do we view Jesus as teacher? You see, in this moment, they needed faith, but they turned to knowledge. They needed faith, that's what would save them, but instead they turned to knowledge. And how often do we look at Jesus and think, our teacher, how, how often do we pray to him and say, give me wisdom for me to do a better job saving me in this situation? We'd rather put our faith on us rather than on God. And so we pray that God would increase the faith that we can have in ourselves rather than the faith 
that we put in him we we say god give me something that will increase my ability to do this that's saying god make me bigger than you god make me the focus of my prayer and my attention not you we, we god give me a foot up and i can do the rest i just need help out of this little bit and then I'll, i've got it from there god help me become more self-reliant god help me to need you less that's what the disciples were asking jesus you ever find yourself in that position as i was putting this together i'm like oh man too many times have i been in that position and just not realized it but the big question is this can that save us can that ever save us see what we're hoping is that god will give us enough of a hand that we can save ourselves because we don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve God to, I can do this. I'm in control, I know how it works. And God refuses to do it. So why would I wanna give you something that makes you more reliant on yourself and other idols and less affectionate toward me? That's madness. He wants to save you. He wants to be your salvation. He wants to be everything to you and for you because he knows how insufficient we are at saving ourselves. We are just rubbish at it. In fact, we can't save ourselves. So God says, only I can do that. And I reserve that place in your life. So we see 39, he gets up, rebukes the wind and says to the waves, quiet, be still. And it probably sounded a lot like this in Aramaic, which I'm not gonna attempt, but it said, quiet, be still. I don't see Jesus bellowing. I see Jesus speaking to his creation. And then the wind died down. And it was completely calm. And I love how he says to the wind, be quiet. And to these huge waves, be still. He, he speaks to the wind in our lives. Those storms are calm. And he says, says to those, just be quiet. And he speaks to the raging waves that we think are just going to overwhelm us and swamp us. He says, just be still. And only he has the power to do that. And then we sit in ter terrified in awe of what we've just encountered in the boat. And he says to the disciples, verse 40, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I read that, I'm like, oh, that seems a bit harsh, Jesus. Like, come on. They had faith to follow you. It might have been stupidity, but they had faith to get in the boat. They had faith to, to do what you said. They had faith to leave their lives and follow you. But Jesus is actually separating two really key things. He's separating for them belief and faith. And belief and faith are very different things. You see, they believed in Jesus. You can believe in Jesus and have no faith. You can believe in Jesus. It's an authentic, real belief, but have no faith. Faith is the action of your belief. It's when you let that belief do something and affect your world or the world of someone else. It's when you, I believe God can speak to me. And then you go, an act of faith is God. All right, God, speak to me. I'm going to do what you say. That's taking belief into action you got i believe people that are struggling need help and then you see someone that's struggling and the faith is oh, i'm going to walk toward them because i know god's going to save them god just needs a channel through which to do that so there's this difference between belief and faith it's easy to follow a wise teacher whose advice we can use or dismiss that's what they cry out for teacher give us an option that we can deliberate on 
What do you reckon? Because it might work, it might not, we'll toss it out, but we'll see. We can decide if we like it or not. Because we believe that you have great things to offer us, Jesus. And Jesus' assumption of that, his conclusion of that, is there's no faith in that. There's no faith in seeking the wisdom of Christ as another option that we might follow. Because Jesus knows that wisdom from a teacher can never quench the fear that they experience. Because their fear is real and they cry out to the teacher. And Jesus could have said anything, but it wouldn't have taken away the fear that they're going to get killed by the storm that they're now in. Wisdom and knowledge cannot save us from fear. Only faith in Jesus saves us from fear. So why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He's like, lads, faith is what drives out fear, he says to him. I didn't see any. I just didn't see any. I know you believe me. I know you follow me. But where's your faith? And then the disciples, they kind of tip their hand. They say, oh, it says they were terrified. They asked each other, who is this guy? Because like three minutes ago, we thought he was a teacher. But something strange has happened. Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Faith requires acting on the belief that Jesus has the power to do anything. It's not enough to believe it. Faith is saying, I'm going to put that belief on the line. I'm going to step out there, whether it's with some words or an action or a movement. That's what faith is. But they didn't have that faith. So they lived in fear. They were terrified. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And Getting excited. So that word obey, that was a clue for me. I'm like, what's that doing in there? Anyone else pick that up? Obey? It's just like, huh? You see, it refers to the idea that the wind and the waves are answerable to someone and they're answerable to their creator. So it's not just a fluke that Jesus stands up and somehow has enough spiritual energy in him that it goes to the extent of calming the wind and the waves and wow, he saves them. It's, it's not that at all. That word obey means that Jesus is the creator of these waves and wind. They are, they are serving his word. They are obedient to him. He has the power over them. So he just needs to hint. And just calm, be quiet, be still. And with this, these words... The natural elements, his creation, respond to his word because it was his word that created them in the first place. Right? So it's like them, they, they would have been rejoicing at being able to hear the word of their creator again. Jesus reveals to everyone that he is far more than a teacher. Not only has he saved them, but the manner in which he has saved them, he is shown them or revealed to them that he created not just the wind and the waves but everything he created them no wonder they were terrified who is this that's what you'd say right oh my we have no idea who you actually are i reckon jesus would have been like yeah huh yeah yeah you don't stick around you'll learn a bunch more see they sought out a teacher and they encountered the living god the creator and the sustainer. How often do we seek or pray for wisdom or knowledge or self-reliance or to be smarter and all we actually need to do is seek out Christ? Timothy Keller says, it's not the strength of your faith, 
but the object of your faith that saves you. How freeing is that? It doesn't matter how much faith you have, it's what you put that faith in that makes all the difference. It isn't about what you bring to the party, it's about who you go to for the party. Do you get that? So it isn't about what you bring to the party, it's about how you, who you turn to for the party. You're never the object of, of um, the, uh, what will save you because we're insufficient to, right? So Jesus wants the disciples to realise they cannot affect this, 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 this situation, but he can. So the answer is just have more faith. And that's where sermons end, right? And you go away and you go, how do I have more faith? I've got to have more faith. I've got to pray more. I've got to be better. I've got to do more. I've got to do all the work. Because huh. then I'm in control. And then if I do enough work, I have enough faith, so I actually end up saving myself. It doesn't work, right? The, the takeaway from this message cannot be have more faith. Because that means it's all on you to save yourself and God can help along the way like a teacher would in there. See, our hearts are so easily betrayed and devoted to ourselves. We so wish it would be the other way, but we so often we become the, the answer to our own affection and attention, everything we want. We have such a need to be self-reliant and to be proud and to be invincible that we find ourselves looking for the answers that empower us, that make us bigger. Because when we feel bigger, we feel like I can take this on, I can handle this. And when we feel bigger, Jesus gets smaller. And Jesus says, no, it's far more beneficial for you to be real, real small and me to be real, real big because I created this stuff. My word has authority over it. But in doing so, when we want to be bigger than Jesus, when we want to be the hero on the boat, the one that saves the day, when we want to solve all our own problems, we are actually fleeing from God. We're running from God in the opposite direction saying, I can save myself. I know you love me. You're great. I can save myself. And if you follow that pathway through to its eventuation, we reach the ultimate display of rebellion from God. The ultimate display or the result of the ultimate display of rebellion from God that no human has ever been able to escape is death. We are all, regardless of whatever, anything, we are all heading towards death. We cannot escape it no matter how much we try. So Thursday night, Lyndall and I, have a date night and we were so tired out from the kids we're like let's just watch something on Netflix and so I don't let Lyndall choose because then we end up watching something just absolutely dreadful um, and we kind of use some of the shorter comedies for, for momentary relaxation points so we're like all right we need a new show so I flick through and I find this show that I think is going to be now it's, you've got to it can't be too thriller it can't ever be horror it can't be much violence in it, but it's got to be at least interesting, right? So those first ones about Lindell, I need something that's, if you take all those other elements out, something that's interesting. And I find this show called Northern Exposure, right? So I, I flick it on, and the first episode, right? This is what happens in the first episode. This isn't a spoiler alert, because if you get through the first episode, you can keep watching it. First episode, mum and the mum and dad, there's three kids, three teenage kids, the mum collapses goes to hospital, they say there's cancer all through her body, she's going to die. The next scene, they're at the funeral. I'm like, oh, what did I choose? 
They're at the funeral and, and the narration over the back is, um, we didn't even have a chance to say goodbye. Ugh, my heart is dying on date night. And then, then, then that's like the first 15 minutes, like you're like, poof. And then the rest of like the next 30 minutes is um, how these three teenagers adjust to their mum dying. Lyndall goes to me, sitting in silence with this whole thing, and I'm like, I'm not going to cry. I can't cry on day night. So sad. <coughs> Lyndall says, great choice, huh? <laughs> I said, yep, I, I did not see that coming, hey? Did not. It didn't have that in the blurb. <coughs> we felt pretty rubbish afterwards. It was like, worst day night ever. Um, because death is horrible, it is unavoidable. And it is so, it comes at us so hard and so unforgiving and so relenting and it takes everything. And there is no wisdom or knowledge or amount of smarts that can save us from death. It doesn't matter who you are, that's the inevitable conclusion. Death is the eventuation of a life in rebellion from Jesus. Whatever we choose to do with our lives, we eventually come to the point where we cannot save ourselves. So we may go in the little stuff, I'm running away, I'm going to do myself, but we eventually, through this life, everybody comes to the point that says, I do not have the power to alter this situation. And what we realise is this inevitability of death is actually littered through our lives in moments when the storm was looking huge and we could have stepped out in faith and said, Jesus, save me. But instead, we chose to cling to the stuff we, we felt would keep us safe and we felt would keep us secure. So we're in the boat. How do we trust Jesus? Like, all right, Jesus, you're going to save the day, but we need to trust in you. For us to have faith, we have to, have to trust in you. So, so how do I put, it down, put down my trying to save myself and rely on the fact that you might save me? He needs to show us that he's a worthy saviour. Yeah? Jesus needs to show us that he's worthy of it. And the proof that we seek is found on the cross. See, the same Jesus who ordered the winds and the waves to be quiet and still was arrested and trialled and executed on a cross. And on that cross, we see Jesus who once calmed the raging storm, calmed the ultimate storm of death to say it is finished no more so we we hurtle towards this inevitability that jesus says it's not inevitable with me so death becomes a gateway into more glory and more of what i have for you if you trust me if you put your faith in me if you stand and go actually jesus has got this one See, Jesus strips death of its power. He disempowered death. He renders it obsolete by giving his life as a ransom for the debt that death required. They said, if it's going to be, if it's going to be even, you've got to pay the debt. And God says, I will pay it with myself. And then he overcomes its vastness, the vastness of death, the eternity of death. He overcomes that through this resurrection where God breathes life back into his son. And Jesus comes out of the grave with this victory and says, have it. It's for you. See, faith is born when we start to live and act out of this truth. 
When that truth becomes our truth, when we go, that's for me, Jesus did that for me. And because he took care of death, I have nothing to fear. Fear's the word, death's the worst of it. I can't fear death because Jesus saves me from that. And so if Jesus saves me from that death, he's gonna, he's gonna save me from every symptom of death in between. If I put my faith in him, if I step into him, if Jesus can be trusted with our death, he can be trusted with everything before and after. Because Jesus faced and calmed the greatest storm of death, he can now calm the storm that you're in. That storm that buffers you when you go away from here and you're in the car and you arrive home and you're like, oh, I wish it was like it was half an hour ago, but there's storms here. It was nice to kind of have a, a, a relief from that, but there's still these storms raging. There's these worries and these concerns. There's, there's people or there's friends or family or people that I just worry so much about. There's, there's situations and news in my own life that just turns me upside down. I don't know how to keep my head above water, right? We go away from here, we go, ah, oh, you're back into it. And Jesus says, no, 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 I've I've got this. I've got the words. So don't, don't respond just with belief. Just ask. We just express your faith. Put the, make the object of your faith, not those things, but Jesus. We don't need to have more faith. We need to have hearts that go, I'm willing to trust. And I'm going to step out in that trust. And so, so how do we have that? We just make Jesus the object of our faith. When we find ourselves praying something other than Jesus, you just course correction. When you find yourself going, if only the circumstances would do this, course correction, Jesus, I'm just coming to you for this. We find ourselves in those impossible situations. It might be a relationship breakdown. It might be a conflict with someone. It might be some horrible news from the doctor and you're like, this is, this is it. I don't know. It feels like a death sentence. Which is, Jesus is the one who's dealt with death, right? He's calmed the storm. He can calm any storm because he does a far better job of saving you than you will ever do. We cannot save ourselves, but Jesus can. And he wants to. So Lord, we just ask you to save us. We ask you to forgive us for the times when we've tried to save ourselves when you've tried to take on the reins and we've wrestled them from you for when we haven't brought situations or relationships or or stress or worry to you we've just held on to it tight because we can do a better job God forgive us and don't, don't help our faith get bigger Lord reveal yourself to us as Lord and Saviour that we might put our faith in you as conqueror of death, as bringer and giver of life. Lord, the fact that you desire nothing more than to save us just should blow our minds and ask, leave us asking, who is this? So Lord, I pray now you would just speak to the storms that we're in. And just in these few moments, we offer you those storms, Lord. You occupy the, the position of captain in the boat and have an authority that far supersedes our wildest imagination, Lord. And so we call upon you to save us, to love us, to hold us in that space forever, that we know you go ahead of us. We just ask this in your powerful name. Amen.